Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. everyone and welcome to this spoiler review for season two of strange new worlds brought to you by the geek buddies oh that was uh oh yeah uh oh uh hey hey you know i'm secretly a lyrian i'm still learning your ways i'm still Uh learning your ways yeah that's it that that must be what it is (laughs) well what's up everybody the much promised uh spoiler reviews here are uh now happening here on um on the geek buddies you guys were so positive about our picard reviews and we've gotten some dms and messages and personal messages from people who have said they want our reviews to come back with strange new world so mike and i being massive trekkies of the three uh geek buddies us two we are excited to be diving into strange new world season two we're going to talk about episode one and episode two. We're going to spend a little bit of time in episode one, then the majority of the time on episode two for sure. Um, uh, but uh, Mike, yeah, I, uh, how are you feeling as we're walking into season two? There's a we left season one with a lot of storylines here. You know, we've got Spock and the nurse uh, having their feelings, Nurse Chapel having their feelings. We've got stuff going on with Una and Pike. Una's been arrested. Uh, Uhura is advancing in her strength. Singh is becoming more of a part of the of the uh, uh, the crew and, uh, and Dr. Mabenga as well coming in and having resolved his situation with his daughter who he was keeping alive in the program. So there's a lot here. And Spock, of course, dealing with stuff uh, that uh, echoes from his past with his half-human, half-Vulcan side. So a lot of exciting stuff coming out of uh, uh, season one. Now diving into season two, how are you feeling now after these first two episodes? I'm feeling really good. I'm glad that we're interviewing. I'm interviewing. I'm glad that we're interviewing each other today. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I'm glad that we're reviewing kind of both episodes together because I feel like after episode one of season two, I was left a little bit wanting. But after mm. episode two, I'm feeling really, really good. So I think it's a good yeah. time to come in. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot. Like Strange New Worlds season one was just delightful. And I think yeah. one of the reasons that it was such a delight to people was as much as we all love kind of the bigger, more epic storytelling, big serialized stories that go over the course of the season, yeah. something about Strange New Worlds coming along and really not being afraid to sort of tell these individual one-off episodes that just mm. explore different sci-fi aspects of the Star Trek universe was really, really fun. Yeah. Um, that being said, they did leave us on some big cliffhangers, um, most particularly with number one with Una um, being relieved of duty after it was revealed that she uh, had been augmented. So, you know, kind of jumping into episode one, we sort of touched on that right off the bat, but Pike very quickly left and we sort of sidestepped that issue and kind of went on more of just a singular adventure uh, yeah. to go get uh, Sing. And that was, and that was fun, but I feel like in episode two, which, you know, we'll get to in a minute, yeah. um, that's more what I really love about Star yeah. Trek. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they really used sci-fi and the idea of augmented individuals and the Federation's fear of augmented individuals because of the eugenics war, which yeah. ties back to Khan, which we always love. Uh, you know, that really got into, oh, we're using sci-fi to talk about issues that we're actually dealing with today. So I think of the two, episode two was stronger. 
Um, and then overall, and I just, I'm going to bring this up because it's going to be something interesting to watch throughout the season. Yeah. I'm a little bit conflicted because I think Strange New Worlds kind of has a little bit of a Spock problem. Oh, interesting. Uh, right off the um, bat, a little bit. Okay. What and not got? a problem. I used, that's the word you used. Here's the issue. Okay. I think everything they're doing with Spock is a lot of fun. And I okay. think that, um, I think Ethan Peck does a great job of playing yes, he a really fun Spock. But because of the nature of a show where you want to explore all these things and have character growth and development, yeah. Spock as the half human, half Vulcan that we all know and love, it feels like they're overshooting him a little bit to where oh. we know Leonard Nimoy is at the beginning of the original series. Like right. there's so much great stuff. And it's a, this is the challenge of doing a show like this. It's not like I don't want them to do character development with Spock. And right. it's not like I don't want Spock to have a really great relationship with Pike, yeah. but because we know where Spock is in the original series. And yeah. we know that Spock and Kirk is like, the relationship of star trek right it's like they're always like moving spock forward but like he's like two steps forward two steps back it's like they want to do stuff with him because there's a desire to move the character forward yeah. but there's also a knowledge that you can't move him forward too much and so even in the first episode some of the stuff he did i was like oh would spock do this at that point in his life it's a great point right because we see spock learning things through the first through the first original series and then through the six movies and some of the things that he's learning he kind of is learning here in the situation with Strange New World. So you're like, well, did you forget the lesson? And look, we're all capable of forgetting lessons and being reminded over and over again of these lessons. So it's an interesting point you bring up and something that I had not even considered because I'm just enjoying the show. Right. But yeah, that is a, well, something to keep tabs on for sure because we do know from the original series, from the original pilot, that Spock had a very strong affinity for Captain Pike. So it's what they've used as a foundation for this show. So. Yeah. But like how much of that is going to be uniquely Pike's relationship with him and how much of it can you not stain Kirk's relationship with him or undercut some of the value of the moments with Kirk and Spock that we know from the history of them. Yeah. Well, and I think you make a really good point <clears throat> in that you're enjoying the show. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, when you're doing these big geek universes where episodes and stories are, you know, this story took place 30 years before this story, but this yeah. story takes place. Like, when you're going to start doing that, what I'm talking about is a natural occurrence. It is going right. to happen. Right. So I think you're right, and the bottom line is, if we're all enjoying this, <laughs> even if Spock's character arc doesn't fully line up, yeah, yeah. if you had to choose as a showrunner, choose to make your show enjoyable. Right. So, so like, I think they're one. making the right choice. It's just something that every once in a while, particularly in the first episode of season two, and maybe it's because, like, the bigger story of the episode wasn't really drawing me. I was kind of like, is this, is this, is this Spock? Is this what he would do? <laughs> so it's just one of those, like, nerdy geek things that happens. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, all in all, I'm, uh, especially after episode two, I am very, very on board with season two. So I'm, I'm feeling really good about Strange New Worlds at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I mean, it's just picking up where it left off. It's the acting, it's the chemistry, it's the connection, it's the characters, all of it just working so well for me. And I like for those of us who are old school original series fans that it really does capture that vibe of the original series. And it's fun to see them diving in. So let's jump into the first episode here as we uh, as we explore both episodes from the uh, beginning of season two here. This one's called Broken Circle. It's directed by Chris Fisher, written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman. This is basically... The adventure episode, right? With that, Lieutenant Noonien Singh is on this planet here. She discovers that there's issues going on between these rogue Federation people and rogue Klingon people who essentially want to use this planet and the inhabitants to, uh, to uh, mine for dilithium crystals and then get themselves a ship to stage a, uh, an attack from a Federation ship on a Klingon ship and start the war all over again so they can recoup the benefits of having of making money off war, which a lot of people would say that's very reminiscent of what goes on in our world nowadays is that people wait to have wars because they want to make money off these wars. And a lot of people step in to do this. We get a little more with Nurse Chapel and Spock and their relationship, certainly the emotions of Spock in his relationship. We can find out that Mabenga has some PTSD from previous wars dealing with the Klingons. We see that kind of go through this. Pike takes off and does his own thing. But we're also introduced to Carol Kane, Commander Pelia, coming aboard here to be uh, an engineer on the ship. And Dude, she slid in like nobody's business. I was worried. I was concerned 
And then Carol Kane showed up and I was like, you're an idiot for even worrying about this talented <laughs> and veteran comedian. And she was so perfect. And uh, connection to Spock's mom. And in two, we'll get conversations about connection to Spock's dad. So this is interesting to keep Spock around, as you mentioned earlier, Mike. So it's an interesting part. So what do you think of this episode overall, what we got here, the action vibe, and them thwarting this uh, attempt to create a new battle, a new war between the Klingons and the Federation? So like I said, this episode, I kind of felt like it was, the adventure was fine. Yeah, yeah. Like if it oh. seemed like a perfectly fine adventure yeah like it was okay i get it like we gotta go get we gotta go get sing uh spock says we gotta go save her admiral says you can't go we're gonna steal the enterprise that was where when spock had everybody in there and he's like we're gonna steal the enterprise this is what's logical i was like yeah this doesn't quite feel like spock but i'm gonna go with it (laughs) i'm 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 having fun with this ragtag crew that i've come to really enjoy in the enterprise (laughs) um and then yeah i think the highlight for me was carol kane yeah. I think the second the second that so the crew good. was all on the bridge and they, you know, they had sort of uh, made it look like the warp dr- the warp core was overheating or whatever it was that they were doing. And then Carol yeah. Kane walked in and just called them out on all their shit and was like, this is if you really want to steal this ship, here's how you're going to steal the ship. I had the same reaction you did. I wasn't worried about it like you were. Right. But when she did walk in, I was like, yeah, she just fit right into this yeah. ship. Right. Um, and I think that they used her really wisely. Um, you know, yeah. in, in some interviews she's talked about, you know, because she is this, uh, what is it? It's a lanthanite. Oh, is that oh, what she oh is? Keep, keep talking. I'll find it. I have it in my notes, but keep going. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, that her race is, she's hundreds and hundreds of years old. Lanthanite. This is, yes. Lanth- yeah. Lanthanite. Yeah. Wow, I was right. Look at me. I am a smart Shout out to you. nerd. Shout out to me. Um, but yeah, like the fact that this is a race of aliens that we up to this point don't really know about that they've lived amongst uh humans based on her age and what they're implying probably before first contact with the vulcans maybe yeah i think so so uh so this is like a new fun little alien uh aspect of the trek universe that we don't know about and but what she was saying in interviews that i really enjoyed and i think this is what makes carol king great to do the role is because of that she gets to play this role as i'm older than literally everybody i have way more experience and i just know more than you (laughs) <laughs> and that was like the second that she walked on the bridge, that's kind of what she was playing. And it was a blast. Yeah. Um, I always like it when we do human Klingon stuff. I love the Klingons. Yeah. Uh, that is that is one of the aspects of being a old school Star Trek fan that like <laughs> uh, I've always thought the Klingons are really fun as villains. Once we got to Next Generation and Star Trek 60 <laughs> Undiscovered Country, I really enjoyed the Klingons as sort of allies. But yeah. Klingons are one of the best things that's ever come out of Star Trek. And seeing them portrayed exactly correctly uh after some other shows like discovery kind of tried to do their own thing with klingons early yeah. on it was fun to just see klingons being klingons yeah we get a captain to chalk there at the end who is the klingon who was maybe going to be attacked by that federation ship until uh the uss enterprise shot it out of the sky there um he wants to have he doesn't trust spock he thinks spock is uh running some situation here we hear the terms false flag in this which has become a term michael that we are now using in common vernacular which a lot of people weren't saying for a very long time but now making it part of the vernacular here in star trek i thought was a really interesting way to connect up to what's going on currently in our world for sure but captain chalk's calling down spock to go like we gotta have some wine a barrel of blood wine and spock drinking it him being you're an unusual vulcan so we do get those kinds of things that we enjoy the most about the original series when the klingons and the federation people can come together and uh, interact with each other and understand uh, uh what's going on here and that the federation did the right thing to stop a war from happening here between the klingons and the federation yeah, um, but but to your point about Dr. Mbenga, yes. I also like that yeah. we are touching on uh, that this – like we're at a point in Star Trek history where things with the humans and Klingons are tenuous at best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that where – you're right. You have this like really nice moment at the end with Spock uh, drinking the blood wine, but you also have Mbenga sort of yeah. dealing with the – I've been through some shit with the Klingons. Yeah. Uh, and then the you have him Chikana. in Nurse. The Battle of Chikana. And then, yeah. yeah. And then you have him in Nurse Chapel with like that sort of, uh, we're going to pump ourselves up with, uh, with, uh, with, with Star Trek Adderall yeah. and <laughs> take out some Klingons, which I was like, well, that that's new. That is new, right? I was like, what is this now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But what do you think of? Did you think that there was something there between them, or was it friendship? Like there was a moment where he's like holding on to her, and they're about oh. to dive out of the ship, and I'm like, wait a minute, do we have a new suitor for Nurse Chapel? In the Spock situation, although Dr. Mabenga, of course, it would seem weird because it's a doctor and she's, but I don't know, uh, it, Mike. It felt more paternal to me. Okay. That felt that felt right. more paternal to me. All right. Um, but yeah, so like I said, I mean, I think that this one was sort of like a, and I don't even really mean this in a bad way because as we're talking about it, like, it's right. fun. Like, watching them steal Bunch the Enterprise, yeah. they go get Singh, like, Again, it's like this crew is going to put their crew above everything else. Yeah. We get some fun Klingon stuff. We get some backstory of the Klingon Wars with Mabenga. Like, Carol Kane is awesome. It's it's yeah. all fun, but it just kind of felt a little bit by the numbers. And even though I really enjoy the crew, I think Pike was missed. Yeah. This you is know, I mean, like, like yeah. Pike is – and I get why they did it. Like, this was – as they were breaking this opening season, they were like, all right. I think that probably episode two was originally their idea for what episode one was going to be. Right. And then they were like, ooh, do we really want to start episode two off with basically Star Trek, the legal drama? Right. right. And they were like, okay, maybe we don't want to start with just like a straight up courtroom episode of Star Trek to kick yeah. off. So let's have this other adventure happen and really do some fun stuff and like seed some stuff that we're going to do later in the season. So I think they made the right call all things being equal, but I think that's why that first episode kind of felt a little bit by the numbers to me. I was like, all right, here's a nice fun adventure that we're going to get back at the end. And the Admiral's like, all right, yeah, you broke the rules. Don't you do it again. And you're like, all right, so (laughs) this is good. Let's get on to Una and her story. It's kind of how I felt about everything. I'm going to tell my my nephew Will on Freshmen's of Bel Air that you guys broke the rules here. But yeah, no, I, I like that as well. I thought it was a fun episode, good way to get us back into it. And for me, I enjoyed it because it got us to touch base with the rest of the crew. It's right. always nice to have some more connect because I mean we've had more a lot of time with Pike on Discovery and Strange New Worlds. We had Rebecca Romaine on Discovery for a couple episodes, I think, as well. So we've had time with them. The rest of the crew has only had the ten episode first season so getting us to reconnect with them and seeing what they're doing it was smart to kind of move pike and una out now we're going to make them the focus as we go into episode two which is what we're going to do uh in just a second because we'll take a break first a little early on in our review so that we can spend the full rest of the review on episode two here of star trek stranger worlds right back right after this Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies b-u-d-d-i-e-s simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code buddies to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv get three months for just 99 cents visit marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now use code buddies explore the extensive library of performances on marquee tv today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at marquee tv on social media Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing. 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And for those of you who remember our review, what's that? It's very silent when Shannon's not here. (laughs) No, I should get some music cue. But for those of you who are new to watching our review, we do that so that I can know where to put the commercials for our podcast that that are up on Realm uh, TV. Shout out to them, to Realm FM, for helping out with us. All right, let's get into it. Second episode here. It's called Ad Astra. Per Aspera, which or uh, Per Aspera at Astra, sorry, which means um, uh, uh, through the star, diff- to the stars through difficulty. That's what it means there. But we get a really interesting episode here, Michael, that has um, some of the best of what Star Trek can do from the original series to now, exploring these concepts that even though it's the 23rd century, we here in the 21st century are also dealing with these concepts of. A force comes into power trying to do what's right here, but also encounters something called the eugenics war. It, it, it echoes in, it creates policy out of fear that augmented people, whether uh, naturally or unnaturally, can cause trouble, can cause problems. So we've got regulations here that'll stop that from being possible, make it illegal to do that, which immediately creates a, dis- a, a um, dissection of the population between between an us and them. And we see that coming through in Una's story here. We get a flashback of her being as a, a child. We we meet Nira, who is her uh, uh, lawyer here, who's going to defend her eventually because Pike convinces her. But we know that her and Nira have this past, have this history. We find out that they're both Illyrians, that she essentially left, uh, that uh, Una left Nira behind because Una could pass for a non-Illyrian and could integrate herself. And the whole the case here is about the way, the fact that she's been able to move up as far as she's moved up in the Federation before they found out she was Illyrian. So as you said, this is a Law & Order episode with Nira being convinced by Pike to put away her old grudges against uh, Una to defend her and wonderfully done here in this episode against uh, the council here and against Pike's uh, off on and off again love interest here and uh, a corru- I wouldn't say corrupt but a not corrupt hard- but a, let's call hard-edged. it douchey <laughs> a little douchey hard edged Vulcan a douchey well Vulcan a douchey Vulcan against this tribunal uh, and we have a discussion here that is really intense and philosophical so what did you think about this episode overall Mike and let's dive into what was being discussed here so what was your effect from the show and what are your thoughts on this concept that they were discussing throughout this entire episode well like i already said i mean this episode out of the two is the one that really is is hitting all my buttons and i really mm-hmm. and, I, and it's like yes you're right this is what original star trek the original series did this is also just what sci-fi and fantasy do when they are at their best like sci-fi 100%. and fantasy are like we're going to talk about race or religion yeah. or uh, the patriarchy or whatever issue you want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it with aliens, robots, and genetics or dragons and magic and fantasy instead of the real world so that we can sort of step outside of ourselves and look at something from some different angles. And I think yeah. this episode is just like the textbook example of that. Um, but really quickly, before diving into that, it's like yeah. I think – it's good to know this is also Star Trek is at its best when it has fun Easter eggs and is self-referential to the stuff we love. Yeah. And so just knowing that the reason that the Federation has all of these laws yeah, yeah. against genetic modification is because of the eugenics wars. Yeah. And the eugenics wars happened on Earth, I think, in like the 90s. Yeah. Um, and it's when a With bunch Khan. of augmented genetically humans took over, the yeah. most notable of which was Khan, Nooni, and Singh, yeah. who, you know, kind of the MVP of Star Trek villains of all time. Um, so and the, connected to someone who's con- on the And connected show. Yeah. to Nooni and Singh, which, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which comes up later. So La'an. So yeah. I think that the fact that they're taking this whole idea of genetic modification, which was used to sort of define who Khan is and what he was all about and kind of say, this is why the Federation has these rules and to create this kind of character arc for Una and the Illyrians, I think is really, really interesting. Um, Also just, I think the Illyrian concept of genetic modification is interesting. Like most Mm -hmm. times when we do sci-fi movies and human beings or other species go to planets, they terraform the planet. So you fix the planet to make it fit our our biology and physiology. What Illyrians do is the opposite as part of what their culture is. They go to a planet 
and they genetically modify themselves to survive on that planet. And you see that when Pike goes to see, um, What's Nira. the Nira. Nira. Yeah. When when yeah. when Pike goes to see Nira, he's on a planet where he can't breathe. The oxygen is too low. He almost right. passes out. There's a whole fun moment where he's sitting in the lobby and refuses to leave. But all yeah. the Illyrians are fine because they genetically modified themselves. So I just think that's a really interesting. It's not. It's a it's a good way to set things up that Illyrians aren't doing this to make themselves superior. They're not doing right. this to just like look differently or appear a certain way. Like that, it is kind of a part of their culture, and it makes sense if you are going to populate planets it's equally as valid as terraforming if maybe yeah. not more so because it's better for the environment i would imagine so yeah. i think it's a i think it's a really cool way to sort of say this is why these people genetically modify themselves that makes it um i don't want to say acceptable but makes it like oh that 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 is logical if i was right. a vulcan i would say why they would so, do that yeah. so all that being said you know you set up this thing where the federation has valid reasons to be concerned yes about based on previous issues yes based yes. on previous about genetic modifications yeah. and yet at the same time these laws that were made for at the time good reasons mm -hmm. to protect people have now turned into a situation where it is they those laws are intentionally or unintentionally persecuting somebody yeah, yeah. and you know look whether whether you like you know, woke liberal sci-fi shows or you don't like woke liberal sci-fi shows, it's undeniable what they are doing. Like when they are like, yeah. when when Una is sitting there on the stand um, talking about getting beat up, getting called names, people not accepting them, not serving people Illyrians. People spray painting. People yeah, spray painting things, yeah. augment on their doors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nira says it in her statements. You know, that this is like, that in human beings' history, they've persecuted people for how they looked, how they worshiped, who they loved, uh, how they identified themselves through gender. Like all, like this was the, we are going to hit all of the LGBTQ trans issues, race issues, all of it on the head with genetic, genetic augmentation. And I think they did a very lovely job with it. Yeah. It was very dimensional. It was, it had multiple dimensions, multiple points of views on this. Uh, and I got to give credit to the writer, Dana Horgan, did a wonderful job writing a lot of these back and forth that happened in the, in this particular episode, Valerie Weiss doing a wonderful job directing this episode as well. I liked that it wasn't just we good, you bad. It was much more nuanced in the interactions here. And I think with Nira, who I want to give a shout out to Yatide Badaki, is the actress, Yetide Badaki is the actress who played Nira. She was wonderful. A lot of you know her from American Gods, but she was so powerful and commanding, and you could tell she was playing multiple levels here. There was a relationship in the past. Having also a black woman defending a white woman in the situation, yeah. having this conversation about having to hide things about yourself in order to fit into a society, having to change certain things about yourself that you can connect that to Jewish people, you can connect to almost any race, religion, what have you, depending on who's ever in control at that time in history, having to hide these customs, having to be having to be made ashamed of these customs. And I think Nero served a wonderful uh, role throughout this entire episode as someone who is like, no, this needs to stop. And you all need to come to terms with the fact about the things you've been doing here. And that interaction with her and the Indian Nunian Singh is just fantastic. I mean, her saying to her, oh, you, uh, you're afraid. You're afraid that you're going to be just like Khan, but the truth is you're not. And they've made you think that because that is the group think. And because the group think makes you think that you are turning the judgment on yourself rather than standing up for yourself, you're worried about yourself because they put that fear in you. And I thought that was wonderful because how many people from different ethnicities, different races, LGBTQ plus community have been told that they're bad, that they're yeah. evil, that they're against God. Well, and then eventually that self-hate turns to something that they use to advance themselves or to destroy themselves because they hate other members of their own community. That happens in every community. And so I liked that that was addressed here in a very deft and uh, well-written scene between those two as well as the great scenes with Una and uh, and Nira as well, when Una's not 100% on board with what Nira's doing, but Nira has a bigger purpose here 
And Una needs to realize what purpose she is serving in this situation. Well, but two things. So two things. One, yeah. um, what order? Okay. So first, let's talk about the last thing you said. But I do think what's interesting about Nira coming into Una and kind of, look, there's there's good and bad. Like, this was a very true account of what often happens when you are fighting um, unjust laws that have yeah. been in place for a really long time, which is yeah. – and you could take uh, gay marriage, gay adoption, any of these as an example where a lawyer will come in and want to represent somebody for I want to marry who I love, I want to adopt who – like whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. And they, the lawyer will know I'm going to lose this case, but I'm using it as a stepping stone because we're going to win this war eventually. Yeah. And that's very noble. And that is a bigger goal sucks for the person that you're representing. Yeah, and so I think yes. I think having this sort of debate happen between Nira and Una, yeah. where Una's like, I I want to take the stand, I want to do this, I want to do like this is about me. And Nira at the beginning is kind of coming at it from a very well, I'm gonna, you know, it's like that whole yeah. scene. She goes in, she sort of attacks the admiral. Everyone's yeah. like, this was this this is not helping Una. But it's giving Nira that platform. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's one way to handle it. And I think by the end, they kind of ended in this place where Nira did ultimately decide we're going to help Una get her asylum. But it didn't get the Federation to change their law, their their uh, their laws on genetic modification. Yeah. So at the end, you kind of leave it with, well, I'm sorry, you know, this helped me, but I don't know that I helped all Illyrians. And Nira's like, well, it's a step. It's a step it's in a the start. right direction. Right. So I think, again, even sort of having that subtle nuance yeah, of yeah. even when you are battling a civil rights issue, yeah. there's the individual and there's the bigger issue and those things don't always match. And yeah. so I think addressing that was really interesting. On the yeah. on Nuni and Singh stuff, I think this is what's also great about Strange New Worlds and the way they set up the characters uh, and their backstories, which is mm -hmm. sometimes when a sci-fi show is gonna tackle an issue, it becomes sort of a episode of the week. Like we're going to go to this alien planet and we're going to meet some aliens that are reflective of some social issue and right. we're going to explore it and we're going to deal with it. And then we're going to move on to the next adventure the next week. And that's great when they do that. And there's really, really good episodes that do that. Yeah. But because they've already from the very beginning introduced La'an, Nuni and Singh into the show. Yeah. And based on her name, we all knew that she was a descendant of Khan. Yeah. And so now to your point, Even though she's that, not genetically modified, she's not genetically modified. She's just afraid that she will become or augmented. But, no, no, but we, she's not well, afraid. She's, we, yeah, she's afraid she, she will become. Well, but no, we, we, she is though. Like we, she reveals to Nira that she does have the same genetic enhancements through her. She may, she was not genetically modified herself, but right. Unless I'm misunderstanding the scene, she yeah. carries the same genetic right. modifications yes, yes. in saying. her DNA from Khan, which makes her somebody that the Federation would be very afraid of. Right, right. And so I think that her revealing that to Nira, like her revealing that to Nira and this being something that is going to continue on with her as a character means that some of the issues and the ideas around genetic modification and the and Starfleet's opinion on that yeah. are going to still carry on as we move forward. And I think that's really interesting too, that they, they've sort of tied this really nicely into like I said, stuff that we all are interested in because we're always interested in Khan. Stuff yeah. that we're interested in because Nuni and Singh uh, Laan is a really, really good character. And so it's yeah. like it's going to be interesting to see where all of that goes with her over the course of the season as well. Right, right. She's a descendant of Khan, uh, but how much of that is going to come in? Because I mean, obviously the Federation knows. So, and she was uh, certainly um, treated terribly if you look at her history and what she's spoken about with the augment thing. So she's much more, uh, she takes this much more personally, this situation in this particular episode, you can tell. And she's the one that wants to find out. She wants to break rules. And I love that scene between her and Uhura when she's asking Uhura to break a rule so that she can have access to people's personal logs. And, you know, that's a little con-esque. I'm going to be honest with you. The idea of wanting to break the rules to get access to certain things so that she can get the information that she wants in order to help. Yeah, it is to help Una, but it would be violating a number of rules and taking Uhura with her in violating these rules. So it's, it's great to see the back and forth between them when Uhura stops her as her mentee to say, like, to my mentor, well, no, we can't do this. This is bad. This will be a, a bad thing. But it's all driven from a place of not wanting Una to suffer, who is her mentor, what she suffered, and wanting to help her get out of the situation. 
Yeah, and then I him find out that it was Una who turned herself in, which I thought was a yeah. great revelation. Yeah, yeah. I think, but I think you bring up a really good point about uh, Laon, which is going to be interesting to see that she does have this fear that she has the darker aspects of her past right. and her exactly. and her you know and her yeah. ancestors in her, and yeah. she wants to be a good person. But that whole scene with her and Ahura is the textbook example of a good person wanting to do what they think is right yeah, yeah but yeah. willing to just do whatever they need to do to get there and that road is a road that can get really really dicey if you keep going down so it'll be interesting to see if they continue that with her and her arc over the season which is yeah. she's gonna want to do the right thing but she will she do th will she cross that line to do something that she believes is right that ultimately yeah. sends her down a con-esque road yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And we will see. That's for sure. And I like that uh, as an element of this for sure. Well, what did you think about the interaction? What do you think about two things? Let me ask you. What do you think about the interaction with uh, Commander April and uh, or Admiral April? Rather, and what did you think about the situation uh, near the end where the um, is it a Pasalk, the Vulcan there, uh, who was in charge of the case or made himself in charge of the case? confronts uh una about when pike knew about this situation we seemed I mean, you know we saw that final scene at the end of episode one where april is talking about pike and we might need him and spock we might need spock as well so this idea that pike is and the enterprise is something they're looking at in some way to use or in some way to keep tabs on and now we have this representative of the federation trying to stain pike um purposefully because that's the only question he asks Savuna, when did she know, and then rests after that. So what do you think they're lining up here but between the Federation and Pike? This is interesting. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I That's a really good question, and uh, I'm kind of excited to see where all that goes. I will say with – is it Pasak? Is that the Vulcan? Yeah, Pasak, yeah, the Vulcan, yeah. The highlight of the episode for me was the scene where Spock and Pasak were in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. uh, you know, the doctor and Ortega sitting there yeah. watching them and Ortega, Ortega, Ortega <laughs> is thinking that the Vulcans are just all buddy, buddy and him being like, oh, no, no, these two are in a fight. <laughs> and she's like, are you fucking with me right now? And then when Spock comes up and he goes, I apologize that you had to see that. That was just some pitch perfect Star yeah. Trek comedy. Like yep. that was exactly like that was Star Trek gold right there. Yeah. Um, so I really liked that. And I thought it was a really, again, really funny bit, but also a really good way for us to automatically as an audience go, oh, he's a bad Vulcan. Right. 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 This guy's no good. This guy, this guy, uh, yeah, Spock's like this of all of my dad's associates, this one's the one that I hate the most. And you're like, well, okay, then then he's then he's bad. We're on your side, Spock. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a good way to sort of set up who he was and what he was about before he kind of got up and laid into Pike the way he did. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, like it it was interesting to see like they're clearly it clearly feels like they're gunning, like someone somewhere is gunning for Pike or wanting. Yes. There's, There's something the going on yeah, yeah, that's yeah. more than just we're going to, like, bring Pike down with Una. Like, yeah, there was there was yeah. more going on to it. There's a little bit more. And I I hope we see more of Pasak as a uh, antagonist character, if not an outright villain. Because I think that yeah. he just he just played a good villain. He did. You Without know, like, having to say much, uh, the actor Graham Somerville wonderful job portraying the villain yeah there's a you know there's a subtlety to vulcans that is really fun which is all vulcans all vulcans play that logic you know like i'm the logical one but some of them are like almost like you play them like they're devoid of emotion and they're just very logical and almost like a little bit on the spectrum sometimes in their yeah. inability to recognize certain emotional social cues and then there's this other end where a vulcan at a certain arrogance level uses logic as a weapon more yeah. than they use it as like true logic. And like Pasak definitely feels like he's of that side of uh, Vulcan culture. Yeah. Um, and I think that just always makes for a really, really fun um, antagonist. Well, let me ask you about, um, Oh yeah. What do you want to say about the Una? Uh, what do you want to say about the uh, Nira and April exchange on the stand? I mean, she exposed him for after he's like well we follow the rules here and she's like really because i've got all these examples of you breaking the rules and then swings that around at the end of the episode by saying good captains do break these rules good captains do understand because that law that i'm reading 
leads to the captain's discretion of asylum and seeking refuge and wanting to get away from persecution. So, I mean, it's a brilliant legal maneuver and it worked. But what did you think about the damage she might have done with this? Yeah. I don't know what damage she. I mean, it's a brilliant legal I mean, maneuver. It it's also a really, it's also a really great commentary mm -hmm. um, because we love when captains break the rules. Yeah, I know. Normally, we do in Star Trek. We, yeah, you know, in Star Trek, like you know, we all know that there's the Prime Directive, but when the Prime, but like we, we're gonna go help these people no matter what. Right, an entire planet I know, could have I died. Mean, we like, literally watched Spock do it in episode one. Yes, right. 100%. Do not go. Do not go get Laon. Okay, we're gonna break the rules and go. So this idea that like, well, I'm a I, the Starfleet's rules are we may not break them, we may not do them. It it is also very reflective of real life. Like, yeah, yeah. There are there there are things that we're like. I mean, not like I'm not. This is not me knocking on religion. I have a lot of friends who are very strong. Uh, strong people of faith but it is the same thing of like there's certain rules in the bible that nobody really seems to pay that much attention to and then there's certain rules in the bible that everybody makes a really really big deal out of and so yeah. it's the same thing with starfleet you're like yeah no no i'm always gonna follow the rules except for right. these 12 times that i didn't and so i think something that we are very aware of as audience watchers of star trek particularly with most some of our favorite captains yeah it's fun to see that used as a legal maneuver yeah, yeah, I thought um, that was I think, interesting. Yeah, and I think in general, what the the question that this episode poses is a good question to to, to grapple with. Is like we yeah. there are people that are always like, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to follow the rules. But this one, this episode begs the question: What if the rule is wrong? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, listen, it depends on your point of view, isn't it? Like we're seeing now uh, what happened, and I don't, we're not going to get into too deep of a political discussion, but certainly this is a political show in terms of this particular episode. So, I mean, we saw some people on the other side of a political spectrum than Star Trek, because Star Trek is clearly a progressive show. You could look at it and say, well, the reason we fought to overturn abortion uh, to make it illegal is because we think it's an unjust law, right? I mean, we just had the Oklahoma uh, school, the person in charge of schools in Oklahoma, education, secretary of education, say he is now going to reintroduce prayer in school because he thinks the Supreme Court law was wrong and he's going to unilaterally do it. So we see people who take the things that we enjoy about Star Trek in a progressive point of view and use them in a different point of view. So it's, it's an interesting to confront that it's about perspective and your POV about how you're breaking the rules, what rules you're breaking, and what's your overall goal in breaking these rules. And I find that to be an interesting thing to explore with some people. Well, I don't think I don't think it's people that are going against Star Trek per se. I think that's why mm. sci-fi. This is why sci-fi as a okay. genre is great because look, obviously, uh, I disagree with some of those choices that you just sure. mentioned personally, sure. but they're doing the same thing. Like what Star Trek is saying, the question is there. The question Star Trek is posing is not, "Hey guys." When a rule, when a law isn't progressive enough, is it okay to break it? <laughs> Star Trek is just saying when yeah. a when a law is unjust, yeah. should you follow that law? Right. That is uh, agnostic of That's progressive, not progressive, liberal, yeah, right. liberal, conservative. You can. I'm I'm using from my own personal experience. I will use gay rights, yeah. trans rights, all of those things, but. You can take a lot. You can take prayer in school. You can take abortion. You can yeah. take uh, any of these issues and put them up against this idea. And this is what the gra this is how you grapple with society is. Yeah. If everybody just decides to not follow the rules, we will have chaos, and there's no way to sort of function as a society. Right. But if everybody follows rules just because they're the rules, even if they're unjust, so what Star Trek is posing in this question is how do you grapple with it? And to the yeah. point of what we're talking about, we don't get to the end of the episode and say, hey, it's okay to say, fuck this law. Right, right, yeah. We no, get no. to the end of this episode and say, we went through the legal system and this the, this legal board said, in this case, we are ruling in this way. Yeah. And we realize this opens the door to other discussions. And maybe those are discussions that we should have. And yeah, and, and nothing changed. Like the, the laws don't change for at least another century. Because looking at Den of Geek, they do a wonderful job with their Easter egg. Shout out to Ryan Britt, who does a wonderful job. And he mentions how Deep Space Nine, the episode Dr. Bashir, I presume, we learned that Julian Bashir was secretly genetically modified by his parents when he was young, which jeopardizes uh, Bashir's Starfleet career the same way Unas is put in peril. So it becomes an episode 114 years later after right. this episode 
dealing with augmentation and dealing with uh, genetic modification as well. So I like that they stayed, you know, like they kept the course with uh, without messing with the or they kept the course of this episode without messing with the right. overall mythology of Star Trek. And, and when you think about that, I mean, that is look, it's 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 not easy to do. It's, it's depressing so a little bit, but it but it's also yeah. realistic. Is that like yeah. so, you know, Khan happens in the 90s. Right. Genetically superior beings, eugenics wars. Everybody freaks out, passes a bunch of laws and says no genetic modification under any circumstances. We are never doing this. This is too dangerous. Right. Cut to uh, current time in the Star Trek universe. Una and Illyrians genetically modify themselves. They're not allowed to be in Starfleet. Una comes into Starfleet anyway, causes a big ruckus. This one single case happens. They fight for Una's rights, and she wins her right to stay in Starfleet. Yeah. But it still takes another 100 years <laughs> for them to really dive into all these laws that started back in the 90s. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's science fiction looking at uh, a social issue, yeah, um, a socio-political issue, and kind of going, look, this is this is how it goes. This is how yeah. it this is how it works. Yeah, the wheels of justice or the wheels of progress are slow, but they do turn forward. You go from the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which is what in the 1880s to uh, or 1860s rather, to what happens with civil rights in the 1960s. That's arguably a century later. And then what? It, we just had Black Lives Matter, which changed people's points of views as well. It made people more aware of what's going on in our society. And in mass, people were able to actually see it for the first time in a long time or pay attention to it for the first time in a long time and see some of the systemic stuff that uh, people of color and black people have been talking about for many years in this country. So it's just interesting how things change. So I like that, although, uh, you know, this is 23rd century, just like all great Star Trek and all great sci-fi, as you mentioned, Mike, it connects up to stuff that we are grappling with today still um even though we're supposed to be living in a utopian future there in, in star trek and i also uh i really actually like what they did what is her, is it april cap the other captain that Pike yes is captain yeah, let's talk, Battelle? yeah yeah it's a uh, captain Battelle. yeah Mel melanie scrofano who's fantastic in the episode yeah. i really so it, it felt like at the end of last season when she showed up and arrested una that she was there all of a sudden going oh here's this woman that pike was kind of romantically interested in and now she's bad yeah, yeah. Now it's now she's bad. And I actually really like what they did with her in this episode. Um, because I think complicated characters are more exciting, except for uh the bad Vulcan. He can just be the bad <laughs> Vulcan. Because yeah, Pasak is great. Keep Pasak how he is. But no, with uh with Captain <laughs> with Captain Patel, I love that she was kind of in this position of I'm working within the system and trying to do what yeah. the best we can do for Una. Yeah. And Given the situation, she wasn't like being horrible. She right. wasn't standing up and saying, I'm going to fight for rights. She was like, this is the best we can do. I am trying to be a good person here. But at the end, when Nira kind of made her final, like, final case and Una got to stay, you saw that she was kind of okay with it. Like she was kind yeah. of happy that that happened. So I think, again – automatically this makes her a more interesting character. Like, whereas before I was like, okay, she's fine. If she shows up later, I'm good or not good, whatever. I kind of want to see where she goes as a character. kind of want to see what happens with her and Pike's relationship. So yeah. I think this episode also did a really nice job of making her a little bit more interesting to me than she was previously. Yeah, multidimensional character. It's always fun to see. I agree with you, Michael, for sure. I do think a little bit of a complaint I have is that I would have liked to have seen a much more stronger prosecution. So we could have had an even more satisfying ending when the judge does rule in favor of Una, which by the way, was a fantastic speech. Again, shout out to uh, uh, Dana Horgan who wrote th this episode, like that speech where she says, the judge, we have to have lines in the sand. We also cannot be inflexible in a case by case basis when certain situations call for it. I think that's the smartest way to rule. Have laws, but understand when those laws can be a little bit massaged because of certain situations, outside factors, or unique uh, uh, cases that are brought before any court. And I appreciated that. But that's what I was looking at. But I would have liked to have seen a harder defense, a stronger defense, uh, even though I know that she was she's probably a character that's going to be a good character going on down the road. So you don't want her to be too hard on one side. But it would have been nice to see someone go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Nira and countering the point. So we don't know 
who's going to win by right. the end of the episode. So that would be my only complaint about the episode, but it's a really minor complaint because overall, I think this episode nailed it, absolutely nailed it. And it feels like one of the best episodes, not only of the new Star Trek, but of Star Trek ever. This goes in the bucket or in the bowl of great Star Trek episodes that honor the original intention of Gene Roddenberry when he made the show. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that this definitely ticks the boxes of like this is what this is why Gene Roddenberry wanted to make a space show. Yeah, 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 yeah. or at least one of the core reasons of what he wanted to do. Um, and, and like I said, I do think what I really appreciated about this episode is any episode that can kind of get us to talk about the world that we live in today yeah, yeah. and the social issues that we're facing, whether you're liberal or conservative, progressive, uh, traditional, like whatever, wherever your bent is, like this is an episode that can get you talking about the bigger ideas that we all grapple with. Yeah. But while at the same time, it's also firmly planted in the nerd timeline of the Star Trek universe that they're using mm -hmm. everything from Khan to Deep Space Nine to sort of like lay this out. So it yeah. is sort of like it's it's very um, apropos of what's going on while at the same time chock full of Easter eggs, which is isn't that what we all want with a geek show? Like that's like a win win for everybody. <laughs> Agreed. One last question for you. Like I had the question with the Mabenga and Chapel in the last episode, episode one. There's a lingering handhold between Nira and Una. Do you think that they were in a relationship when uh, Una and her family fled to the non-Illyrian city to uh, essentially assimilate uh, and not be called out for being Illyrian? I it's so funny that you asked that. So I was just talking to somebody okay. this week about uh, I had dinner I had dinner with a with a executive friend of mine. Yeah, and I we were talking about um, Shira on Netflix. Oh yeah, Shira, uh, the yeah. Netflix animated series. And we we're talking about when when you realized that this was actually that Shira is actually this like you know multi season romantic uh, sort of story mm. between Shira and Katra. So spoilers if you haven't watched it. Um, but it's like I think we're past the. Uh, the uh the spoiler rule on that one but um i was talking about how queer people sort of clue into things almost like subconsciously before street people do sometimes yeah, yeah and when the second that nira showed up in the room to meet with una at the very beginning and they were sort of contentious and una was like do we need to talk about this i was like oh they dated they were together they're together. they're together so you know i mean i, I you know it, it and it doesn't it yeah, it might have been a high really school romance or something. Yeah, maybe. It yeah. doesn't really matter to the bigger arc of the story uh, no, right. if, Nira, if Nira doesn't come back. But they did sort of leave this sort of – they're friends now. They're yeah. good. But I definitely read uh, – you don't get that mad at somebody when your friendship just sort of passes. And, and granted, like it does seem like Nira was very upset. Nira is someone who's very a very proud Illyrian. Yes. And yes. the fact that Una and her family were able to pass – and decided to go into hiding. And yeah. clearly when Una continues on the stand and admits to everybody that they did that and kind of apologizes to Nira, I think if that's all it was and that's, they were friends and that's the moment that their friendship got resolved because Una sort of stepped up and said that, that totally works. I think yeah. so textually it did feel to me like there was maybe a little bit more there, there. I didn't think there was anything between them other than friendship until Una takes that gamble on the stand to essentially bring up their issues. And because Nira hasn't wanted to have the conversation, she is in essence forces the conversation or finds the opportunity in Nira's questioning of her to uh, have the conversation with her right there in front of everybody uh, in the court. And you see, once again, two good actors having the back and forth there and playing the levels of what is happening and what happened in their relationship and clearing the air between them without people around them maybe knowing that they were clearing the air between them. We knew as viewers, and I thought that was a nice uh, thing to do in the script, a nice uh, uh, plot yeah. point uh, that worked really well. Um, and the idea of passing, I mean, like we, in, in communities of color, that is a big, I mean, Latinos talk about, yeah. you know, white passing Latino, or in, in, in black communities, I have heard from many of my friends who are black who say like, oh, that guy's, oh, they, they're acting white in order to assimilate into that culture or whatever. So, you hear that all the time. So having that be a central conflict between them, I thought was a really smart thing as well that uh, connected up to stuff we've heard in our society you, as well. I mean, to, to your point, that's yeah. what they did. They did such a nice job 
<laughs> being Illyrian checked all the boxes. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It checked. It, it sort of checked. It touched on race in that way. Yes. It touched on oh we were a, we were able to pass. You're not able to pass. Right. Right. Um, it touched on religion because part of being an Illyrian, a lot of the genetic modification is cultural. So right. they and had to practice. And rituals. Yeah, they practice. had to practice in hiding. So yeah, it touched yeah. on religion, yeah. <laughs> and um, the fact that they are literally modifying their bodies kind of touches on trans issues. So yeah. they sort of like they it it was again perfect sci-fi because almost any group who has been persecuted in their history can look at this story of the Illyrians and find something in there so that it's a universal thing. It's not that they didn't go. We're just, we're just telling a story about a religious issue. They kind of made it a little bit broader and said, look, there are people as Nira says, who have been persecuted throughout history because of all of these things. Let's have a discussion about all of it in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great title at Astra Prospera, which means to the stars through hardship. As I said earlier, that is the slogan of the motto of Starfleet before the formation of the United Federation of Planets. If you guys remember that early or that series from a few years ago, Enterprise, that was before they became the United Federation. More more than a few years ago there, Johnny. More than a few. (laughs) Well, you know, a few still counts as 10 to 15, I think. But but I remember Scott Bakula, of course, being the captain there. But that was all about. The Enterprise, not the USS Enterprise. That only happens after the United Federation of Plans. That's the Enterprise. So using that slogan as the title for this episode, talking about stuff from the past, affecting things now in the present day of the show, I thought was really smart. Just really smart title for the episode. Yeah. I also think it's interesting. And I think like I something about what you said just made me think of this, that Mm. it. It's interesting to have in both Nira and Una, like the Federation, like, you know, in Gene Roddenberry's time, the Federation was supposed to be like, the Federation is perfect. Yeah, yeah. The Federation is what we as, he's, he was in the, in the 1960s, the, the United Federation of Planets was like, hey guys, they've worked it all out. <laughs> They're perfect. This is what we should try. Can't we be this? Right, right. <clears throat> now, in 2023, I think we we use the Federation of the United Federation of Planets a little bit differently. And I think in Una and Nira's perspective, it's really interesting. So Nira just hates the Federation. Right. Because of what they like. Y'all don't y'all don't accept me. I don't accept you. Y'all a bunch of pieces of shit. I'm good. Una, as much as the Federation persecuted her and her family, always wanted to be a part of that. And when she speaks on the stand to that and kind of says, I I thought that maybe if I became a part of this and if I can tell my story, maybe it'll make the Federation better. And I think watching her sort of struggle to sort of go and look, I think people struggle. You, you struggle there. There are Americans who struggle with this when they kind of like look at America. There are people in other countries that struggle with this. You can, it, it can be, you can be a person of faith who struggles with your religion. Like this is an idea that again, is very elastic, which is there's this ideal that I am very taken with and want to be a part of. Yeah. But this organization or country or religion or whatever it is doesn't always live up to the ideals that they say they do. Right. And using the United Federation of Planets to go, you guys are good, but you're not perfect. Right. You got, you got some work to do still, I think, is a really, really interesting idea as well. Yeah, from the, and it echoes from the original series because Kirk used to go up against the Federation at times in certain episodes in the original series. Certainly in the movies, we see them having uh, times where Kirk goes uh, toe-to-toe with the Federation sometimes. So it has that. But I also liked that the reasoning that Una used for wanting to be part of Starfleet was because when I was young, they landed and I saw all these different species come out who were part of the Federation who were working together. And I thought to myself, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in that. So there is those discussions within communities of, oh, you went to the um, you went to the uh, occupying force or you went to this or that. But if there was something aspirational here, then there's a reason why. And I like that that was something that both Una had to understand about Nira, that Nira has a very strong feelings about what happened. And Nira had to understand where Una was coming from, which is Una wanted to contribute to the fact that this was a diverse organization yeah. trying to do what's best in the world. Do they always get it right? No, no one does. But the goals are aspiring for a better galaxy in a better universe. And I like that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, again, like this is uh this is one of those great episodes of television of sci-fi that just gets you talking and allows you to sort of 
um, examine an idea in its purest form without yeah. putting your own <clears throat> your own political bent on it, your own cultural bent on it. You're yeah. just able to sort of look at it and be like, okay, interesting. Like interesting. I can I can sort of look at it from different angles. Like I I don't know. I I love shit like this. Clearly. Me too. Me too. Me too. All right. Well, there you go. That's our spoiler review episode here of uh, of Strange New Worlds for episodes one and two. Thank you all so much for watching this or listening to it. You can always listen to us on our podcast feeds uh michael uh, want to handle what we have to tell them yeah look if you want to follow us you can do it on twitter at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you would like to follow mr roca you can do so at the roca says and if you would like to follow me you can do so at mk tune and in addition to following us and listening to us and enjoying everything that we have to say about star trek here is some more stuff that you guys can do you can hit that like button below subscribe to johnny's outlaw nation page leave your comments below what did you think of the season premiere what did you think of episode two where do you think the season is going what do you want to see more of what do you want to see less of what is your Star Trek vibe? Let us know below in the comments. If you are listening to us on podcast form, leave us some stars, leave us some comments, go explore realm.tv. It's a lot of awesome geeky stuff. It's yeah. really, really fun. Check it all out. Uh, and as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the geek buddies. Absolutely. And big shout out to Paramount Plus who has sent us the first six episodes ahead of time. So we will be much more timely in dropping our reviews of these episodes. So look for them happening every week, uh, sometime between uh, Thursday and Friday happening every week. We will be uh, reviewing them, spoiler reviewing. So have no fear, have no fear. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Uh, be well, enjoy your weekend. If you watch this on the weekend and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode of strange new worlds here from the geek. Buddies. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.